You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word or your devices to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 or page 1069 in the Pew Bible that is sitting in front of you. Today we are continuing our series, uh, The Kingdom Come. The Kingdom Come. This is as we look at and focus our, our minds and hearts as Christ has come to earth He has also returned and is going to come again. And in this already but not yet, how how do we as Christians faithfully love and follow God? As the Bible points us to this heaven and this kingdom to come, may it, we pray, change how we treat one another and serve God. So as we continue in this, we are called to enduring faith. So let us Look at how the gospel, how the the Bible, how the scriptures tell us to endure. So beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12 to verse 13. Therefore, since we have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. And struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And your suffering is discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees 
and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us as your children. Correct our hearts where we have strayed. Get our attention in the areas that we have drifted. Use your word to supernaturally change our lives. And God, in all things, we pray that you would help us to be faithful followers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I couldn't help but be mesmerized by the, the funeral and the proceedings of George Herbert Walker Bush, our 40, 41st president. And to just think, no matter what you feel about his politics or who he was, you have to admit his life was pretty amazing. To serve in World War II and to be shot down in the ocean and and to be saved, even though over 10 of his co-pilots were shot down and taken into custody and killed. But he went on and after, even after the war, made a new life for himself and learned the oil business and, and went with nothing and, and became a very successful businessman. And then continued on in his life to then realize that he needed to serve his country in other ways, becoming an ambassador, becoming the CIA director, becoming the vice president, and eventually the president. What an amazing life. Being faithful to his wife Barbara for 73 years. What an amazing life. What an amazing family of endurance. And then even more so, that at age 90, jumping out of a plane and skydiving. I don't think no matter how you thought of him or his presidency or, or what you thought of his politic, politics, what a life well lived. And I would say that most all of us would say, we would love to have a life that endures in that way. Well, as Christians, we're called not to be flashes in the pan or splashes in the baptismal waters, but we are called to be enduring evergreens, faithful to God for our entire lives. It's Eugene Peterson who wrote a book that's called, entitled, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, that he puts forth that there are two titles or two ways that Christians are called in the Bible that really call us to endure long obedience in the same direction. That we are called disciples, methetes, in the scriptures. That we are to follow Jesus. That we are to, to learn from our master. That we are to emulate his life. That we are to continually be growing and following in his craft, not in his craft as a skill, but in faith, in faithfulness, and in holiness. We're not seeking to acquire information about God, but we are following Jesus in skills of faith. And this is to continue until we see him face to face. The other term that is used to describe Christians is pilgrim, paradimos 
That is, we are people who are not stationed here forever, but we are returning. We are going someplace. We are, we are heading somewhere. We are going to God himself. We are on the way. And so these two words show that we are enduring people, faithfully following, going, going to heaven, going and following Jesus. We are called to be committed soldiers, faithful followers, enduring disciples, ambassadors, citizens of heaven. We are called to represent God and represent him in a, for eternity. We are called to finish well. Not to be distracted by this world, not to be discouraged by our circumstances, not to wander though our hearts are prone to. We are called to endure. And this is what we are encouraged to do. Number one, endure to the finish line. When the writer of Hebrews writes these words, what jumps out at the page from us is that we are called to be faithful, to run the race, to endure, to continue on our path. The metaphor of life is called as a race has happened several times in the scripture. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium are a race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do, not receive, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. He describes his even life, his own life in this way. When he talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy as his life was ending, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but all those who have loved his appearing. We are called then as Christians to endure, to stay the course, to finish our race, knowing that we are racing towards a prize, a prize of Jesus himself, of God himself, of heaven and the riches and rewards that is eternal, that we are called to endure as Christians. And as we read this, we read in verse Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we also have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance of sin so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Now, as we read this, we, also, we want to know that we read in proper biblical reading as we understand that we don't take a verse and just take it as it is, but we read it in context. Read the verse in context of the paragraph, the paragraph in context of the chapter, the chapter in context with the book, the book in context with all of Scripture. And this particularly, we want to understand what this means. Of course, the, the thing to remember is when you see therefore in Scripture, you want to know what it's there for. Why, why are you there? So you want to look back. It is pointing back to chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. 
If you haven't read Hebrews chapter 11, you should, I encourage you to do so as it goes through basically redemptive history of the faithful followers of Jesus in which God used to bring about the salvation of his people. We read and understand for our sake that these people list, listed in Hebrews chapter 11 ha, are filling the stadium to cheer us on in our race. And a lot of people, we might look at this perspective and say, well, these uh, cloud of witnesses, maybe of people judging us or looking down upon us. But no, these are not spectators. These are fans cheering us on, saying that we have run our race. We have endured similar things. We know the circumstances. We know what it takes to be faithful to God, and we know God has been faithful to us. So go, run the race, endure, continue. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11 speaks to this end. In Hebrews 11 chapter excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they are thinking about what, where they came from, they would, they would have an opportunity to return but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The writer of Hebrews tells us to pay attention to their testimony that, and heed the encouragement that they are giving us. There is Abel in the stands reminding us of the true sacrifice we are to trust. We hear the cries of Noah that while the world is condemned, there is an ark of salvation. Abraham yells out for all who have hope for promises yet unfulfilled, just the way he did for many years in Canaan. Moses shouts out like those among him, like him, forfeit status and favor in the world, riches and rank in order to follow the Lord. And right beside him, Sarah who says that even God is faithful in barren years. And Rahab, even Rahab, the prostitute, who says that it is never too late to turn and follow God and be sheltered by him and be used in his story. Their presence gives us a home-filled advantage as we await and as the Lord tarries that we know from their faith and from their cries that we must endure so what is this that they have found their purpose in their life to be faithful? So what is the purpose, a goal of your life? May it be defined by the world, a certain standard of wealth, to rise to a position of influence and stature, to be popular, to maximize leisure and fun. Sure, these are the ways of an unbelieving society, but not the heaven that we are being called to. How liberating is it to us as Christians that we realize our true calling is one of faith. To persevere in the various settings where God has called us to set us in. To hold us fast to our convictions 
and obedience to God even when the world rejects it and turns away. To grow in grace and glorify God all the way to the end of our lives. This is our victory. Not the worldly standards of success, but enduring in faith to the end. You know, it is said that there are There are many pastors that we listen to their podcasts and read their books and maybe even have their t-shirts, but there are thousands, if not millions of pastors who endure in small little places, little corners of the world, who the world will never know their name, and yet they will be celebrated by their faithfulness in God in heaven. The same can be said to you. There might not be tomes and and books and websites in your name, but God calls out for faithful obedience of his children. And in that, in heaven, will be celebrated by God himself. So what does God want from us? He wants faithfulness. The same for you as the, the Hebrew hall of fame of faith. Be faithful. Endure. Be faithful right where God has placed you right now. And to do this, we, he gave us some helps. So that leads us to number two. Lay aside any hindrances. Here we see about running. And the only thing that I'm thinking about when I'm running is stopping. Seriously, if you see me running, call the police because someone is chasing me. (laughs) We know when we see someone running that they are running with a purpose. And here when Paul talks about running, that we are to run a race to endure, to win a prize. Now, we might not know a lot about running, but we know that if it's a race, that, that, that they want to win. So if you're driving along the road and you see someone, and you see that they're carrying a 45-pound weight, that would be pretty foolish. Or they'd be a crossfitter, which could be the same thing. But you would yell out to them, drop the weight. You want to win, drop the weight. It is slowing you down. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. If we're running the race of endurance to call and go to the crown of righteousness of God, that we don't want anything that would hinder us or entangle us. Don't have things in our lives that would keep us forgetting to the the goal line, keep us being distracted from being joyful and glorifying God in our lives. We need to throw it aside, it says. Anything that is hindering. I mean, just in Hebrews chapter 11, we see many people who would say, hey, I was entangled. (laughs) David would say, "Uh, hello, Uh, remember the Bathsheba thing? My life got entangled and distracted. Don't do it. Run faster. Lay aside the the sin that is hindering you. And this is exactly what we're being told. Lay aside everything that is hindering us. 
And you might have been going to church for a long time. And I've even said in, in many ways, the question as a Christian is saying, uh, is this a sin? And if it's a sin, rid yourself of it, of it. But maybe a better question should be this. Is what I am doing now helping me run? It's a subtle difference in a question. But maybe it would challenge us to lay aside things that might not yet be sin fully, but have distracted us from the goal of glorifying God. How many weights can I lay aside so I can run as fast as possible towards Jesus? Is what I am doing right now helping me run? So let me ask you today, what do you need to lay aside? What is hindering your prayers? What is hindering your holiness? What is hindering you from telling someone about Jesus? What is hindering you from running a race as fast as you can to see Jesus? The scriptures are telling us to lay it aside. But also even further than that, that number three, we should expect discipline so that we will endure. In verse 4 through 13, I'm not going to read it just for time's sake, but we see that, that there is a process in which God is telling us, helping us, and disciplining us that we might become better runners, that we might not be distracted, that we might run towards the goal better. And I love this real-world example that the Hebrew writer uses, that, that we all had fathers who discipline us, or parents who discipline us. And a father disciplines his children out of love. Parents discipline you so that you learn not to put Pop-Tarts in the VCR player. Parents discipline you so that you know that it's not good to give yourself haircuts. Parents discipline you so that you know and learn how to be kind to one another. Ultimately, parents have been given as a gift of God so that we would know how to obey God when we don't feel like it. And so what obedience is that, that we understand that God is calling us to obey him. He's not coddling us. He is disciplining us to remove those areas of our sinful hearts, of our lives that are hindering us from faithfully following him. And so let's just, let's all have a big britches, big girl, and big boy conversation. God is in the business of disciplining his children. He is a loving God. But just like a loving father disciplines his children, a loving God disciplines us. And instead of being immature and thinks that and we should say, oh, that just sounds like a mean God I don't want to follow, we should say, no, I want a God who corrects me when I'm wrong, who helps me run better. And let's be real, many of us attribute things going on in our life as Satan, to Satan when it's our own sin that God is punishing us for. 
The reality is, is that God is disciplining his children so that we will endure faithfully to the end. John Calvin puts it, the scourges of God bear witness of his love towards us. J.C. Rowell says, by affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it, we, should ne- we would never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long for heaven. In the resurrection morning, we shall all say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. C.S. Lewis famously put it, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And J.I. Packer was certainly right when he said, this is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort or another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold him fast God wants us to feel that our way through life is rough and perplexing so that we may learn, thankfully, to lean on him. Therefore, he takes steps to drive us out of self-confidence, to trust in himself. And this is the hope that this writer tells us in verse 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight the path for your feet so what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. What a wonderful real-life picture that through pain comes learning and healing. In a dislocated bone, there is pain to put it back into place. But afterwards, healing comes. Isn't it good to know that a God loves us this much that he wants to set our path straight? That when we are weak-kneed and we want to give up, that we want to stop the race, that we want to stop being faithful, that we want to stop following, that God is there to love us and encourage us and help us and in that pain to know that we are loved. And so what is the key to all this? Well, number four, fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Yes, it was at the beginning, but listen to this. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. If there's one thing that makes a difference in all the world and the Christian life is where your eyes are focused. You know, in sports, it's important that in many different realms, it is where your eyes are fixed is how you get, how you are improving. In football, you want to Watch the ball into your hands before you make a move, lest the receiver drops it before they, they run. In baseball, you want to keep your eye on the ball, right? You want to make sure that you're swinging at a fastball and not a curveball. You want to watch to contact to the bat. In the same way with running, 
It's not how fast you run, but it's also where you fix your eyes. You don't focus on the heat or your, the other runners or the, the things that are going on around you. You fix your eyes on the end. And in the same way, there is a faith that focuses on our circumstances that calls us or draws us or tempts us to give up on the distance, on the obstacles, on the runners, on the heat, on the fatigue, on the job loss, on the bad health, on the wayward child. Yet God is calling us to be faithfully fixed on Jesus, the one who went the distance for us, the one who has conquered every obstacle, the one who's died for every runner, the one who endured fatigue and thirst and exhaustion and beatings and the crucifixion. He's the redeemer of all that is ruined, the savior of all things tainted by sin and the Lord of all life. So fixing your eyes on him and what he has done will not guarantee that you will not fall, but that you will run with endurance and perseverance of the race that has been marked for you so that no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what goes on, he's already run, won the race for us. Elizabeth Elliot says, the secret to enduring in Christ in me, not me, in a different set of circumstances. So who will endure to the end? Well, who was perfect in obedience and didn't allow others or Satan to be distracting them? Who was disciplined on our behalf for our sins so that we would not be eternally punished by God? It is God who sent his son and is disciplining us. He will hold us fast. The God who will heal, the God who loves, the God even in our failures overcomes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if we fix our eyes on him every morning, every failure, every trial, every suffering, every day we feel like that we want to give up, we fix our eyes on Jesus, we know the race has already been won for us. And we will follow so today, do you find yourself drifting? Do you find yourself in a trial and want to give up? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Finish your race. Some of you here maybe have never even started. Maybe today you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. If you've not trusted Christ, your finish line will not end in the joys of heaven. If you've not trusted Jesus, the joy of running in this life will be fleeting, dependent upon the up and down of the day or the circumstances that you are in. But if you will trust in Christ, he will rescue you. He will love you. He will make you a son or daughter. And he will help you to be in it to win it with his joy, with his grace, with his love. So I pray today that maybe you have come as the invitation of someone else, but that today you would trust Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lays before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and loves you. So today, let us all be encouraged to run to the end and to the arms of Jesus. Let us pray. God, we pray for an enduring faith for us all. That many of us who are discouraged and struggling, may we see and, and understand that you love us, that you have not abandoned us, but instead have sacrificed your son for us all. Help us to endure. Help us to have great faith. Help us to follow you. And we pray this morning that if there's someone here that does not know you, that today you would save them, that, Lord, they would see the world with new eyes, they would see you as Savior, and they would call out and be rescued freely by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.